if your homestead or like where you live had an effect on guests when they came into your house, what would the effect be? They want to give me money. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the best answer. This is a collection plate and they just feel compelled to put money in it when they walk yeah. into your house. <laughs> oh, I, man. I don't know. The only time that anybody ever comes over is for D&D and recording. So I, my initial, my knee-jerk reaction was just like the, the compulsion for nudity. But I got Dan come over a lot and I don't yeah. need that in my life. So yeah. And your brother. And my brother. Nobody needs that in their lives. Shit. So um uh the inability to be hungover. How great would that be, right? Oh, that would be really good. No hangovers in this house. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Topical today, let me tell you. <laughs> this is the most hangovered episode I've done in a long time. You know what I mean? Me too. Like... <laughs> me too. It's rough. What about you, Megan? I I, I was gonna go along the lines of I would like no illnesses in my home. Like, it's just a, like, I would like, if I could have an aura of my home, it is, you, if you go in, you can't be sick. So if you're sick, you come to my house and you feel better. That's kind of yeah, like my great. house of healing. All right. I feel like a worse person now because both of you I want money, like he beneficial. says. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome back to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Today, we're continuing our discussion on DM tips in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Kyle, and with me today are Adam and Megan, and this episode is called Environments, New Freak Unknown Unique Fun Zones. In this episode of the It's a Minute podcast, this panel of dungeon masters will be poking around where no mortals are meant to be and handling magic items that are best left to ancient experts and powerful mages. Before we leave all natural reason behind, I've got a quick question. If you were out in the woods and you stumbled upon something that was clearly breaking the rules of physics and rationality, are you one of the people that walks right up and investigates it? Or are you going to take a picture with your phone and fuck off back the way you came? Oh, I have to touch it. I would touch it. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. no, Megan, it, let, let me let me describe. It, it's not what you think it is. It 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 is a a thing that breaks all all physics and rationality. It's not something pretty to touch. I'll touch it. I'm gonna touch it. <laughs> Answer still stands. I'll touch okay. it. <laughs> Kyle, yeah, I'm probably the same. I would probably touch it too. Although yeah. I would probably get a stick and poke it first, and then touch it. Yeah, I'm I'm the guy that's going to walk around 360 degrees and investigate it from every angle before I go lick it. I'm that will be a full investigation, all five senses. So I guess the point is we're all fucked. Because there's a lot yeah. of shit we're going to talk about today that's um, dangerous. Hey, man, we come from a we because we're all from the, we're, we're all from the age of like when we when we were kids running around in the forest, we, we would find weird things in the forest. Like I feel like nowadays, did you guys ever find the the forest porn? Are you aware of this? I ran into this all the fucking time when I was a kid, and like I'm not the only one. This is a phenomenon of like the 80s and 90s where if you would just go like dick around in the forest like we did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. You would find a hollow stump or like a little hollow area underneath roots or something. And there would inadvertently be a plastic bag chock full of porno magazines. You guys never ran into that? I It's no. a part of me that thinks that I did at some point, but I don't know if it's because you've painted such a lovely picture that I'm like, yeah, I have a memory of that happening. But like I, but we, we did live behind a forest. So we were always in the forest. 
And like, we found some weird shit in that forest. I would not be surprised if that phenomenon existed in my childhood. Yeah. And it was always in there with like a, with a pack of cigarettes. It always had like three cigarettes left. Right. And there'd be a dead lighter and, and a broken like steak knife and shit. Like it was clearly a homeless person's stash. But yeah. I would run into that shit all the time. And like different woods, different forests. Well, I'd do this. We'd find it almost every time we went camping with the scouts. Mm-hmm. We had like I, a... Kyle looks an, so confused. To talk to Dave and Dan, like they'll, they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. We had an abandoned trailer in like the back of our forest, like in our forest, just in the middle. like, And you could not get it out because trees grew around it. You know what I mean? Like, cool. And like in that trailer, clearly there was folks that would live there at points in time in their childhood. So mom and dad be like, don't go near the, the weird abandoned trailer, like in the forest. We always did. Like, <laughs> and there was some weird shit in there. Whenever, like whenever there wasn't somebody in there, we would go in and like look around. Like there was some stuff there that I'm pretty sure that us as children should not have seen. You know what I mean? This is like a stand by me horror film kind of. Yeah. I'm surprised I survived my childhood kind of moment. Like, <laughs> oh, all right. The one that stands out to me was there was a dryer behind my elementary school. There were a bunch of, of like forested areas. There was a dryer that was just out in the like middle of the bush. Like there were paths and trails. This thing was, you know, 200 feet off the trail and they had built it up and like covered it in dirt and stuff so that you couldn't see what it was until you were essentially on top of this little mound of dirt and then the dryer was on its back and it would be like empty. The door was gone off of it and someone was using it as a toilet. And it was just this festering metal pit of human horror inside this. And like all the kids knew about it. And it, there was always a dare, you know, sneak away from the from the schoolyard and and go over to the toilet and like go go to the dryer. And it was like this weird thing that. Like, Kyle, what's the weirdest thing you've ever found in the woods? Uh, I found a vacuum cleaner full of pine needles one time. Someone vacuuming the forest? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I can't explain it. It was way the fuck out there. Like, we were 45 minutes from the closest town. And the only thing I could think of is maybe someone had an RV out there, and then they were, something got into their van, and then they vacuumed up a bunch of pine needles. But it was, like, just the bag you pulled off, it was just crammed full of pine needles. That's weird. Yeah. Do you guys ever find one of the, do you ever see one of the um, staircases? Hello, Momo. Staircases to nowhere? Yeah. Apparently it's, it's a phenomenon. I've never seen it, but I've known people who've claimed to have seen it, where you were out in the woods and there's a staircase that is clearly out of place. It looks relatively clean and it's a staircase to nowhere. And when you start to climb it, you just get this really like foreboding sense of bad and then you walk back down. And the idea is that you just should never go near a freestanding staircase or a freestanding door you find out in the woods. And apparently people see this all over like the world. When you go yeah. out there into the wilderness, but particularly forests and heavily like vegetated areas, then mm -hmm. then you will find these things. Yep. There was a weird staircase in the forest that I grew up in. See, that, there, yeah. there you go. And it was like one of those like, it was almost like one of those like concrete, like a concrete thing that just got placed there and for yeah. no reason like and it's just it just existed Did you play on it ah uh, we would sit on it it would be kind of like their little like when we would where our little hideout was in the middle we would sit around on it and maybe that's why i'm this is why i'm cursed i'm cursed i knew it <laughs> this, it was the staircase <laughs> it's all coming together now guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why i'm cursed <laughs> all right i'm gonna get rid of my cat just give me a second I've heard of that phenomenon thing of like stairs in the middle of the forest. 
but I, I don't know. I've never seen one. And I always kind of assumed that it was people that heard about the phenomenon and then they're like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we went and built a staircase out in the forest to freak some people out? I, I went to a party one time, like, God, 15 years ago. And there was some guy that was talking about it. It was the first I ever heard about it. And But he had a picture on his phone, but it was one of those old like flip phones. So it was like a really grainy, shitty picture. So mm -hmm. it was authentic enough. Nobody had Photoshop or anything back there, uh, back then. But like, so I've seen a picture of it, but it's what, what made me ask the question originally, like, would you go up and investigate it? Cause he's like, yeah, it made me feel weird. So I fucked off and I'm like, well, fair enough. And then years later, I heard stories about it and I'm like, okay, this is apparently a fucking thing. So I guess I just grew up in the wrong forests. I mean, what kind of boring ass woods were you growing up? In? I know. Like where what kind of childhood did you have? You don't have weird yeah. shit in your forest. Like <laughs> <laughs> one full of whimsy. I wonder if this is a Canadian thing too, because of how, oh, and like, because of how forested we are. Like, it'd be interesting to see if this these phenomenons exist other well in other places. I'm curious to know now if any of the listeners have ever run into one of these. Like, okay, like, like, write in, give us a comment. What's the weirdest shit you found out in the woods or the wilderness? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if it's a dead body, me? we will report you. <laughs> <laughs> The, the ones that terrify me are the people that have the weird supernatural ish or like the unexplained uh, encounters on the ocean. Not nah, fuck it. That scares the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah. Waters. Never traverse. Nope. All right. Uh, before we pop off on any more of this, let's meander our way into an info break. We previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder, Tyler and I sit down to discuss what happens when you start off Tier 3 after losing your home base, your hometown, and all your allies. How is a dungeon master supposed to create dynamic encounters and tell a story based around a late game party being homeless? But for now, let's jump back into the episode. When your earliest memories are of growing up in the Feywild, things like time-warping mushrooms, mind-bending fruit, and giant tabby cats seem far less whimsical and way more, could we please just move to the material plane so I can have a scrap of a normal childhood? This is the opening quote to Tesh's Culture of Everything's section on supernatural regions. So what is a supernatural region? Well, these are areas on the material plane that have been warped on a fundamental level by some kind of traumatic event, uh, it is up to you whether that be from a presence of a powerful otherworldly entity, a magical event of cataclysmic proportions, or a tragic event whose echoes reach out across space and time. These areas can be as large as an entire ocean or small enough to fit on the head of a pin. What does matter is that in these places, the veil between the planes has become so thin that some of the magic of these other places has begun leaching out and begun infecting the very anima of the land itself, turning it into a kind of window of sorts to another reality. And with the right push, the window can be opened just a little bit. Things found in the area, whether that be buildings, people, plants, or animals, may remain unaffected, while a deeper, more primal transformation has taken place. 
brief encounters and certain effects as players cross the area will help reinforce whatever particular theme uh, may be present. Tersh's Cauldron of Everything has a bunch of samples breaking down what each of these particular triggers might look like along with some random effect tables. General triggers you might use when playing around with some of these environments or coming up with your own um, are a party entering the area for a first time, a creature falling to under 50% health, the casting of a first level and up spell, or activating a magic item, uh, doing something that might attract undue attention from creatures that would be negative to the original plane, or spending any significant amount of time in an area. So let's get into some of these. Let's uh, roll initiative to see who's going first. There goes my die. Three. Eleven. Oh, ooh, me. Oh, <clears throat> Megan. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with a great one since we talked about our traumatic haunted forest um, childhoods. Uh, I'm going to talk about haunted places, which you can find in Tashes, as we've been talking about. So haunted regions are lo locations where great horrors have occurred, such as mass killings or just like awful deeds as a whole. Um, I, I, you know, my mind goes straight to like uh, cult rituals and sacrifices and things like that. But it can be a simple thing like a in my mind, it can be a simple thing like a character betrayal or like just a place where a heightened piece of emotion occurred. Right. These areas are thought to house those raw and terrible emotions and can be like place, places where ghosts roam and other things like that, right? Ghouls and all that kind of stuff. So some things to kind of heighten the haunted feel of these areas. So some of the effects that can happen are creatures uh, can gain the frightened effect or certain creatures are unable to see their surroundings clearly. So that can be done in my mind with like fog, darkness, all those kinds of things, right? Um, also, if a creature finds themselves alone, uh, in a weird haunted area, you can pop off an effect. And then one, another one is like things and weird things happening during certain times. So like at midnight or noon or 3 a.m. or what have you, like certain time frames, things can pop up, right? And then as mentioned before, of course, if you're in these areas, like if a ghost appears and stuff like that, you can pop off one of these regional effects. So if any of those things happen while you're in a forest, obviously in the book, there's a bunch of random tables that you can roll on uh, for effects that can pop off if you were to eat in a contrary, find yourself alone, have a weird time frame, or what have you as a DM, make those choices. Some of the random ones that I enjoyed, um, which was uh, if you roll 16 to 20, um, all bright light weakens to dim for 24 hours. Uh, any other sources of light, like candles, don't shine light at all. So I even imagine that if you have a dancing lights cantrip up, those will dim. If your torch is up, that will dim. And like, it, or if you haven't lit it yet and you try to light it, it will light, but it won't sh admit light in my mind. So I also like the idea of doing the old horror trope where it just blows out. Yeah. Like the little gust of wind goes. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, if you roll 56 to 60, uh, if you die in the lands, your body rapidly decomposes and becomes a skeleton for 1d 10 minutes after dying, That's which I fun. think is intense. For just being in a little haunted forest or a little haunted house, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, watching you go through all the rapid stages of decay. Yeah, and that would be a fun thing to kind of describe uh, for like the the horror aspect of things is watching someone's body quickly decompose, like go through all of the phases all at once, and being able to describe yeah. what that kind of looks like. Right. I like the idea of it being kind of out of time too, so you'll see like bugs come and you'll see them like start to eat away, but they're coming so fast and flitting away, yeah. like. You're watching something in fast forward. Oh, it's one of those time lapse ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. 
And one of the other ones that I really liked is if you roll a 56, sorry, um, if you roll an 86 to 90, all healing done from spells leaves scars on your character. So we homebrew that if you die and come back to life or like roll, do your death saves and you end up living again, um, you get a scar. That's a, that's what we do. Uh, but I thought this one was interesting because it's any healing done, not even just like from death, any healing, because it's mm -hmm. almost like the healing doesn't operate the way it normally should and your body is slowly knitting itself which means you're gonna end up with a scar as opposed to like quick healing right it kind of adds a little bit of that survival aspect to it and that would be fun to describe especially if you have like a healer who just like pops off a healing word just to top everyone's health up you can as a dm you can describe okay you look down at your arm where the ghoul or ghast or creature scratched you and you now have a permanent scar it's like I it's like it's it. healed and it feels fine we got a bit of an itch because that scar is is still there, right? Yeah. So I love it. Mm -hmm. that's haunted places. Do you find those inspiring? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yes. I'm I'm always putting you guys in haunted areas. I mean, always. you've been fighting against undead for campaigns now, right? And the, the the overarching plot of our world is is healing works different and resurrection works differently and. The undead are everywhere. And so I love this kind of shit. And I would have liked to have had access to this table to cherry pick certain ones to be able to use um, and have a status quo when I started this campaign. So mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I, I quite like this. Yeah. Right. I, I like the idea of having like choosing one or two. And then that's just the consistent. If we're in a haunted space, this will always happen. So it's almost like your characters have that. They know how to handle the issues now a little bit better. And you can kind of strengthen them and work if, on them. Right. Yeah. If you're on desecrated ground, you can know it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah I like that. Uh, yeah. Do, do you guys have any inspirations for how you want to use these? I uh, honestly, for me, this is where. It's per it's perfect haunted house stuff. I mean, I'm gonna litter this through Barovia because that makes a lot of sense. But mm -hmm. um, even in Death House and uh, the House of Lament from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, anything that's how many graveyards do you end up in? How many sunken ships do you run across in uh, in Ghost of Saltmarsh? Like wherever a skeleton pops up, I would have one of these effects potentially be in a 10 foot radius of the area right so or maybe oh you know what if you've got a uh, group of players that are consistently using speak with dead yeah every time they do that mm. it kicks off one of these things in a 60 foot radius that hangs around for the next 13 days or something right okay so whenever you pierce the veil in some way the environment becomes weak life becomes corrupted that kind of shit hardcore mode right there well i mean go big go home yeah i guess uh megan do you have anything specifically you'd use this for i i, I maybe it's just because i I do the undead series i uh it mm -hmm. just seems like everything is haunted i don't understand why we're we're talking about things not being haunted right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's undead things everywhere um but no i really really enjoyed the um the trigger of when you find yourself alone in one of these areas and mm -hmm. I think that that's a really good like pip for any DM to be like haunted places are a great place to separate your party. And like when they want to split the party, let them like yep. and give them reasons to separate the party because it's such a great pip that when they're alone, they have a psychosis moment. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I was a kid, I went to the Winchester mansion. Have you guys, do you guys know anything about it? 
Yeah, no, man. but that's wild. I know about it. I haven't been there. That's wild. That's really yeah. it, it is crazy. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, it's uh the wife of the guy who came up with Winchester rifles. Um, after he died, she was worried that um the ghosts of everybody that were killed by his rifles were gonna start haunting her. So she built this whole mansion and it has a bunch of dead ends, rooms with secret entrances and exits, you know, like stuff behind the mirrors. Um, all to kind of confuse the ghosts so she wouldn't find them. And that's how I kind of imagine these haunted zones, like something not just undead or there, right? It's something incredibly traumatic, like changed. Like it put a, a psychic kind of presence on the land. I, so what I would love to do with this is have them go around a Winchester style mansion and I think it would be a great way to like separate them, right? Like you walk into a room, then all of a sudden a door shuts behind one of the party. And now they're alone in this part of the house. And the whole goal is to try to rescue the woman who's in the house before these ghosts can get to her. Yeah. And the walls keep closing and the hallways keep appearing. and Staircases yeah. to nowhere. Creepy, yeah. weird staircases, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. We're down in the cellar. There is no cellar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yeah, like a combination of that and mixed with a haunted mansion from Disneyland. Yeah. The only thing I would say is you've got to shut down psychic communication, right? message has a range on it that is going to cover yeah. the whole house so you have to shut that shit down like anytime you try to use it you just hear uh static right or it becomes like a game of telephone right so you'll get the message but it'll be warped a little bit because it'll have gone through a bunch of ghosts who add their own little echo yeah, yeah, yeah i like that i think uh, you're next kyle i am next I'm trying to backseat dm here sorry I, <laughs> I didn't hear what you rolled so i'm like is it my turn yeah, no, it's me. Uh, so I'm doing the Far Realm. So the Far Realm is a place of madness, home of aberrations, and power so terrible and corrupting, it is capable of twisting even the strongest minds into something strange and unrecognizable. It is a place that lies beyond the plains and even beyond the stars themselves, where eldritch horrors await, entities that threaten the existence of all other life everywhere. It's a place governed by an entirely different set of rules and its own way of thinking that is beyond the ken of mortals. It's generally a subtle evil, one that drips through tears in the fabric of reality or is intrusive thoughts that lead slowly but unerringly down new paths. Triggers in one of these places might include a warlock with a great old one patron, uh, rolling a one or a 20 on a ability check, attack roll, or saving throw, uh, a party taking a rest within the area, or if someone spends 30 or more minutes reading an Eldritch Tome written by someone who was in some way touched by the far route. Uh, some of the fun ones on the D100 table that they give us are a structure whispers faintly. Um, a creatures that can hear it must succeed on a DC 12 wisdom saving throw or be charmed. While they're charmed in this way, the creature has to move towards the source of the whispering, avoiding obvious hazards. And when it reaches the source, it becomes incapacitated. Uh, the creature then can repeat the saving throw when it takes damage or at the end of every hour, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, ending itself on a success. If you roll a 64 to 72 uh, for the next 2d10 hours, 
creatures in the area find themselves covering the same ground over and over again, unable to leave, during which time they make no progress. So basically just going around in a circle. Uh, once the effect ends, each creature must succeed on a DC 10 con save or take one level of exhaustion. Uh, rolling a 96 to 100, um, we'll have a tear in reality up here that acts similar to the gate spell, uh, linking this location with another random plane of existence for 2d10 plus two hours. This tear will travel through the far realm. So I kind of imagine it like the warp from Warhammer. And any creature that enters the rift uh, takes 10d10 psychic damage from horrors they witnessed on the journey through before appearing in the closest unoccupied space to the rift on the new plane. Um, yeah. What do you guys have for inspiration for this one? Do you want me to go first? I, I, I don't know. I, I love this. This is, I, I love the cosmic horror stuff. The, the far realm shit is my fucking jam. Although Hell yeah, we covered this quite in depth um, on the campaign builder episode with a bunch of aberrations and stuff um mm -hmm. and uh and i'm always about just like tentacles bursting out of fucking nowhere for no reason and body horror like people's eyeballs start melting but they can still see through them as they like slide down their bodies and just like yeah. weird nonsense right like i'm all about that kind of just gnarly shit these far realm effects are really fun and really interesting i like them to uh to be even weirder the one thing i will say though that one that you had about uh, they just they can't leave the region they're just retracing the steps over and over yeah one of the things about minotaurs is they always know where they are and where they've been like they, they can just remember layouts of places that they've been before this would fuck with a minotaur player who's been like relying on that which I, th yeah. I think is really fun. I love yeah. that you mentioned Minotaur because like this, this like using what like a Farscape thing, I would do just screams weird labyrinth to me. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like if, if you're going to do like an enchanted labyrinth that they have to solve before they get to like the MacGuffin or wherever they're traveling or just end up in a forested area that feels and looks like a labyrinth. Right. Yeah. And so like, I, yeah, I just laughed when he said a Minotaur. because I'm like, of course I'd throw a Minotaur inside this weird, creepy <laughs> landscape of like... <laughs> But I think it's like a good piece too, right? Because a lot of DMs who do labyrinths or mazes or something just for that exploration pillar, like attaching it to like a region with these kinds of abilities uh, would make it that much treacherous. So this would be for like your higher leveled parties that are now going to be dealing with these things. Because the fact that if you roll that one that you were mentioning where like not rolled like one of the triggers is that if they rest here, mm -hmm. something will trigger. So it's like even when you're resting, you, you can't rest, right? Yeah. Like something may happen, which... It, again, adds to the severity of the the situation. So, depending on the level of your party, I would make a, I would make a labyrinth with these pips as options. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, yeah, for for me, I think this episode actually came along at like the perfect time uh, because I have a cult in my homebrew that I'm working with right now. Oh, you're gonna say your personal life? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's got to have hobbies. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no. So I have a, a like a far round cult that's in my game right now and they're basically going around stealing books from bookstores and then burning down the bookstores to cover their tracks uh and so the party right now is currently like tracing them back to their hideout kind of thing and i'm gonna have the hideout be like emptied out real quick but they're leaving behind this far realm kind of space because inside it they've just done so many rituals towards the far realm that it's kind of warped the the room in itself yeah there's another one where it's um something appears or like all the roots on trees turn to tentacles and everything. So yeah. I think that would be really fun to that's act cool. with as well. Yeah. 
Neat. Uh, Adam, what you got? So I'm going to talk for a second about Blessed Radiance. And Blessed Radiance is uh, whenever the Upper Plains infuse an area with blessings of some sort. Uh, there's not much more information on it than that, except the fact that it gives us a handful of examples like um, of, of what would trigger one of these Radiance effects in these areas. But it just says, the Upper Plains touch this region. In my head, this is where an angel has touched down or a mass blessing has been given or there used to be a temple here or one of the gods walked the earth and this is where they did the thing they came here to do, right? So this is very godly. Keep in mind, however, not all gods are good and Blessed Radiance could be for evil gods or warmongering gods or whatnot as well. So, uh, however... Um, the upper planes specifically tends to align with good, but like you can twist this to be a lower planes thing too. The thing that triggered is if somebody is in an area where there's been some sort of like historically um, divine intervention, then and then a player succeeds on a save against undead or fiends while they're here, or someone is a target of a beneficial third level cleric or paladin spell, if a player crits against a fiend or undead, or a player has an epiphany while doing good or undermining evil, then one of the effects kicks off. You can clearly adapt that depending on what kind of god that you want, right? But those are those are kind of the things that, that they're looking at. So instead of me selecting the ones that I like the best, I'm going to grab percentile dice and roll, and I'm going to roll three times, and each one of us is going to get a blessing of some sort. So I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order, so I go last. Megan, you're up. What is my blessing? I rolled a 34. One simple or martial weapon that is non-magical and carried by you uh, in this region gains the properties of a mace of disruption for 24 hours. I hit stuff. <laughs> you, you hit stuff. That I is the most stuff. Megan thing. Uh, Kyle, you got a 90. Uh, an angelic voice rings throughout the region. Each creature there must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or perform the grovel option of the command spell. <laughs> oh then, my god. <laughs> and then for me, I rolled a 53. Aberrations, fiends, and undead in the region give off a crimson glow for one minute. The creatures shed dim light in a 10-foot radius. Attacks against them have advantage if the attacker can see them and the creatures can't benefit from being invisible. So these are all fun, interesting, divine options. I like this. I think that this is not going to come up that often in most campaigns, but when it does, it would be very memorable and flavorful. Yeah, like um, I feel like this is definitely going to be attached to whatever religious character is in your group. Right. So like you, you visit their church or you visit their hometown and like all these things, nice things start happening and it kind of like reboosts that character's um, attachment to their religion. Cause like I found like a lot of the characters that I've played, especially my paladins end up the world sucks and it doesn't really good, good things don't happen. So it's kind of like a good, I almost like a refresher to put in your campaign, like somewhere in the middle after a big heavy thing has happened. Right. Like, um, like Adam, like when we do have deaths of like party deaths, um, we'll usually have like an episode of rest and mourning and all those kinds of things. Like this would be a good area that people find them in to have that kind of more of a mental refresher is what I would do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you bury them in it and it's one of these effects comes by. Yeah. If yeah. you were to, to use the, the spell ceremony, 
in one of these areas, which has like a bunch of different kinds of effects, depending on the kind of ceremony you're doing, like performing weddings or funerals or unions of, of ideals or healing people. Like there, there should be something cool that pops off every time you do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to use it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to round two. Same initiative. Or are we rolling? Let's roll again. Okay. 16. 12. I got an 11. I get to go uh, again. Well, it was fun the first time. It's going to be less fun now because we've gone from Blessed Radiance to the Infested. Megan, this one's for you. <laughs> this is all about when insects become too populous for a region. We're talking mass migrations with wild population booms or magical manipulations that have summoned these insects or there's supernatural growth here or just interbreeding with otherworldly species and now your bugs do weirder shit. So when that happens, uh, you get to roll on a table. It's another percentile dice table, but there are some suggestions for when this triggers. For example, when webs, cocoons, uh, hives, anthills, and or other insect dwellings are disturbed, when someone attacks an insect swarm or a small or larger insect in the region, or when a creature begins a short or long rest. <laughs> Yay, fuck you, players. <laughs> oh. oh lord um we're gonna go in alphabetical order i guess this time so that we can end on megan's horror great that's a good place to be uh yeah. so for me um i rolled a 38 which says that the region is choked with wispy webbing which acts as difficult terrain pretty straightforward i think that one's actually the most boring on the list kyle mm. 77 i was real high for you for some reason one random creature in the region must succeed on a dc 16 con save or it acquires a ravenous silverfish infestation among its gear Ew. the infestation <laughs> is discovered the next time the creature finishes a shorter long rest if the creature has any paper material the silverfish destroy one random book or other paper item that isn't magical so oh your scrolls are safe yeah but it but yeah. your your journal isn't uh, well at least i won't have to worry about dead skin cells on me yeah <laughs> <laughs> all of my old memories though in my <laughs> my my 1999 journal <laughs> uh, not my maybe. teen angst i rolled a 52 <laughs> a massive bloated maggot emerges from the ground within 10 feet of the party and bursts covering the ground with ichor in a 10 foot square centered on it the region is affected by the grease spell for one minute Ew. i like this if you're walking through tunnels you're underground and these maggots are coming into the ceiling and just like bursting and dripping down onto the floor. You, uh, the world's maggot, worst fireworks. Maggots dripping. Like <laughs> gross. I feel like the exploding part is even worse. Yeah. There's all sorts of shit on this one. Like there's bioluminescence, there's buzzing, there's um discarded like carcasses and and uh, exoskeletons that you gotta crunch across. Like there's yeah. all sorts of just horrible, horrible shit in this. This this table and using this kind of regional kind of stuff would be good for a, like a random encounter. Like it's easy yeah. enough, it's simple enough, easy enough to deal with as a group. Like it could just be a little thing to throw in there to like give yourself as a DM time to find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the other thing too is I picture this for the Underdark all over the place around Drow with the spiders and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, great options in here. Interesting, yeah. Uh, good for, if you're going through like a forest too, like a really deep, dark forest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just trying to find ways to pad it out. Yeah. Or even like fields, right? Like when you're crossing farmland, I imagine that there would be infestations of bugs everywhere, right? Because of like the growth and the food and... The random encounter as you step yeah. up 
fucking wasp nest, right? Like, yeah, cool, nice, Terrible. love it. All right, mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk talk about the psychic resonance. I don't know why that was a word was hard for me just now, but it was. So these are areas where magic is a little bit weird uh, and tampered with due to the it basically being surrounded or immersed in psionic power or like, let's say there's just creatures fucking around the psionic abilities in this area. Um, Things that can pop off the effects that can happen in these regions are things like creatures having big emotions. So a big traumatic thing happens or like even if a very solid positive thing happens, like any kind of large emotion uh, or even taking psychic, uh, psychic damage that is greater than your con score. So I guess that bodes the ability for someone to be able to handle any kind of psychic damage, as well as it could be as simple as someone becoming charmed or frightened in these areas can pop off an effect. Or if someone talks through telepathy, uh, which let's be real, all parties tend to do. (laughs) There's always somebody that has message. There's always somebody that has like a weird ability to talk to you through, through your brain minds. So I find that this is going to be the one that would pop off and affect the most in my experience with the parties I've played with anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the cool things that can happen if one of those things kind of triggers. So a 25 to 34 roll, uh, headaches and nosebleeds. (laughs) And it also even gives them disadvantage on wisdom save throws. So it's kind of like that process of like, have you ever tried to concentrate when you have a headache? You know what I mean? So it kind of just like goes hand in hand that they they suck at their wisdom saves because they have a headache or have a nosebleed going on. That is me Uh, right now. Yeah. I mean, trying so hard to concentrate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you roll 65 to 70, one random creature in the the region can hear whispering in their mind. This is thought to be the faint thoughts of all the other creatures around them and actually gives them advantage, advantage on wisdom checks for one hour. So it's almost like they can tap into everything that's happening around them for a short period of time. So, and I feel like that when can be popped off if someone tries to speak with telepathy, all of a sudden you hear everyone's voices for like one hour and then it's extremely loud. (laughs) If you do an 83 to 88 for one minute on a 20 count, uh, you must make a DC 15 intelligence save or take 2d6 psychic damage. I can see this one happening if your character has been alone for too long, kind of like a pip that happened with um, the haunted areas. Like, I feel like you can use that as an option or it can be like, again, having big emotions or having a headache or trying to, again, talk through telepathy. All of a sudden you take 2d6 psychic damage because you're trying too hard to tap into it. It's almost like you're not supposed to. You know what I mean? That's 2d6 for 10 consecutive rounds. Yeah. You got to make the the save against that. That's rough because who's good at intelligence saves? Wizards and artificers. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Interesting. It's and, it's a, and it's a DC it's... fifteen, and it's a DC fifteen, which is yeah, that's you know, nothing that does nothing to laugh at, right? Mm-mm. So interesting. Yeah, cool. But yeah, uh, yeah. Do you guys have any inspirations for how you would use this in a game, or how this would be created? I guess in an area. I imagine gonna... these being these popping up in like a wizard's tower or like somewhere where there's just a lot of magic happening, and there's a lot of confusion in the land. I was gonna drop all of this in the Feywild. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have said. Uh, this is like what happens when you torture a crystal dragon. Like it's their yeah. pain oh. emanating out kind of thing. Yeah, a lot a lot of the uh, gem dragons have psychic shit. So that makes sense, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess we're moving on to me. Uh, mirror zone. So no one is really sure how these mirror zones appear. Uh, some thinks it's an artifact of when planar and material energies meet. Uh, It's creating a place of reflection, some an incursion uh, from the theorized mirror of planes, which 
I guess is something they just made up for this. No, heard of no, the, the plan of mirrors has popped up in previous editions. It's just not, uh, it's technically one of those ones like the plane of dreams. And th there's a few yeah. that are out there that are just used as, as almost like pocket dimensions or alternate realities for one adventure at a time. Yeah. But it can be really neat to to interact with them on some on some level the idea that there is if you pass through a mirror there's a whole other world there right like that's yeah that's wild okay interesting um yeah so uh this is also where others believe that powerful magic uh governing transition protection or divination had unexpected results so i guess a ritual going wrong or something like that um whatever the creation though it is a place where creatures, objects, and energies reflects, refracts, duplicates, or is transported elsewhere. Some triggers include a creature shattering a mirror. If someone uses any kind of teleportation magic, the appearance of an illusion, or if one creature impersonates another. Uh, some of the things about the random tables. So 19 to 24 is creatures in the regions don't cast reflections. Insight checks made against them have disadvantage. And disadvantage on persuasion checks made against anyone who notices their lack of reflection. When they leave the region, creatures regain their reflection and the effect ends. Uh, 71 to 76 is for the next 24 hours. Any, when anyone in the region hits with an attack roll and deals damage, the attacker must succeed on a DC 13 charisma saving throw or take force damage equal to half the damage dealt. Uh, finally, 95 to 100, which is, I think, probably the funnest one, is a duplicate of a random creature appears. Uh, the duplicate is identical to the original in every respect, same stats, same equipment, same appearance, and its only goal is to kill the original. If the duplicate dies, it and all the equipment it's carrying is shatters into shards of mirror. Um, if it, and if it fails to kill the original creature within one hour, it disappears. Ooh, creepy. That's really creepy. <laughs> That's cool. Those are the, uh, the art for this in the book is really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. This one particularly. I would just do a campaign related to that last pip, like a whole campaign related to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's funny. I just used a mirror zone um, when I was dealing with Mieka because she ends up having to go back to Maryland and we end up splitting the D&D &D party and she returns. And uh, although I guess we're done doing that later this year, she's just going to join permanently, which is fun. Yep, yep. But she ended up in an area where she got like magically bamfed into it against her will. Um, and she found herself in a tower where she wasn't able to leave and she was trapped in there with a vampire. But the vampire was there as a as a uh like npc not as a as an enemy and the vampire was sitting there talking to her and trying to give her information he's like i'm a guardian of this place because i keep the greater evil at bay but i'm also a prisoner i can't leave and it turns out that every time he tries to leave he opens a door and there's nothing there what was actually there was a mirror he just can't see his own reflection Mieka figured it out that if she did a handful of things, her reflection and, and her, they would change places. And anybody mm -hmm. else that was also in the reflection would change places with her, right? And so that's how they managed to get out of the mirror zone. But the vampire is trapped because he can't see his reflection to change places. Interesting. So it that's was this cool. great, great big like prison that was created by a powerful mage. So neat. What's the greater power that? He's protecting everybody from. Uh, literally the um, avatar of an anti-god that is uh, trapped, frozen in time, fighting the harbinger of the goddess of death. Badass. Yeah. Gasp. It, it <laughs> was right where Megan's character died at the end of the last campaign. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. We love a good character uh, death from from a higher power, you know. Yeah. 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 It sucks when from a lower power. No one wants to get killed by a fucking zombie or yeah, a, yeah. or a giant frog. Fuck that. That's fair. Uh, arrow to the knee from a goblin takes you out. Not quite the same. <laughs> satisfying. No, yeah, it's just not the same thing. <laughs> well, like, we'll never it's be the a same. mirror goblin. <laughs> can never financially recover from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Oh. Uh, Megan, do you have any inspiration for this? Honestly, I was going to go like more along with the name of it because as soon as we talked about it, it also like fits very well. Is um, I would just do a circus and have like a fun house of mirrors where a whole bunch of weird shit happens. And it's just a couple of the mirrors are, you know, having these effects and pips and pops off, especially like because they'll try and transport out of it if they get lost or like try and like teleport or use dimension doors and things like that to get out of these places. And that will work. You know what I mean? Like it's a, a good place to trap your players and have some fun. Also, yeah, I love it. Sounds like it's be. mirrors because you go to smash it and like you swing back to hit it and your mace goes right fucking through it and you end up falling through the mirror into the mirror zone. Mm-hmm. Or or it like you can shoot through it, but only magic can go through it. Everything else, it's impenetrable. It can't be um destroyed at all. It's just this mirror that you can shoot magic missile through. Mm-hmm. Shit like that. Or it's a portal to the mirror behind you. So you shoot and you end up shooting yourself in the back. Shit like that. Like I was just thinking that exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. With a yeah. mace, right? Like you swing it through and then it just smokes you in the back of the head. Oh my god. And then you face plant against the mirror in front of you. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit with my uh with my long bow. I, I roll my attack. Great. Also what's your AC? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing uh yeah my idea was um some powerful magic user in the area is asleep and basically can't wake up so their dreams are leaking into reality but it's that weird slightly off reality you know the dreamy sort of reality so there's like your party but they're all kind of slightly different and uh you go in one door expecting to find one thing but it's the dream version of it and then you gotta kind of it's almost like a maze finding your way between the dreams and the reality and you gotta find the magic user and wake them up that'd be good for a sleeping beholder too Mm, yeah that's a great idea oh you know it would be like we're all thinking mirrors and stuff right now but could you imagine like looking down in a small like like lake and you're looking over the edge of the rowboat, and your reflection reaches up, grabs you, and drags you into the water. I was just thinking like small puddles and stuff. Like to your point, it, like the layer of a beholder where it's sleeping, and there's just these little pu- pools of water on the ground, strategically placed in places where you would have to see your reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like cool. that. All right. Uh, let's move on to round three. So right. roll again. Two. Nine. I also got a nine. <gasps> roll again. All right. You're going down. Fifteen. 18. God damn it. Kyle. Yes. Cool. You can go first, I guess. That's fine. (laughs) All right. Uh, So the one I got for this is unraveling magical effects. So something is wrong with the magic in the area. Spells don't work as they should with the results potentially becoming unpredictable and dangerous. Such places are what happens when magic itself has been damaged or corrupted and whether that be the aftermath of a battle between magical titans, a potent artifact being destroyed, or a powerful ritual either having gone wrong or right is up to you. Or, you know, it got disrupted halfway through and just released magic everywhere. Uh, Some of the things that might trigger a reaction in this area are charges from a magical item being used, 
uh, spell of first level or higher being cast, or a creature with a strong attachment to magic of a challenge rating of five or higher dying. Uh, some of the effects might be that one to five, all magic items except for artifacts in the region temporarily lose their magical properties for one hour uh, while leaving a creature's attunement to such item unaffected. 46 to 50 is the Flaming Sphere spell with a spell, spell save DC of 15, spontaneously activates in an unoccupied space within five feet of the party. And on initiative count 20, losing all ties, the sphere moves 30 feet towards the nearest creature with the sphere vanishing after one minute. I think that sounds hilarious. And I would definitely have that randomly happen, quote unquote. Um, or 66 to 70 is one random creature in the region crackles and sparks with light for one hour. For the duration, the creature magically sheds light in a bright light for in a 10-foot radius and dim light for an additional 10 feet. In addition to that, any creature it touches requiring an unarmed strike, uh, if the target is unwilling, takes 1d6 force damage. So I guess just static electricity is built up. Is this just a wild magic table without the wild magic sorcerer barbarian? Yeah, it feels kind of that way. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But I mean, on an, I guess it's supposed to be on a more epic scale. Yes. Yeah. I would almost want to use this, like, it, my inspiration for this would be, I, I would use it if I had, like, a wizard or someone with, like, had a lot of magic powers, died in, like, one of, not, like, died dead dead, even if they, like, were brought back or stabilized. But anytime they die in battle, one of something mm. like this would pop off because their magic would just exist. Still, it still exists, right? Especially if they stable, restabilize. I feel like there's going to be a burst of uncontrollable magic that just happens because this wizard died and came back to life, right? And that gives your character a little bit more spice to them every time they like come back, kind of thing. You know, when you you finish your campaign, you killed the big bad evil guy, and you're running away. You have the Indiana Jones moments of trying to escape his temple as it comes down around you or whatever that shit is. This stuff should be popping off on initiative count 20 at the same time. Like, as you're trying to leave, the magic here is now weakened because the big bad evil guy died. When you're trying to escape Strahd's castle or the Tomb of Annihilation or whatever it is, you've won, it's time to leave, but there's one more encounter and that's get the fuck out. And yeah. so I think this shit should be popping off. I'd be rolling on this table frequently. Yeah. I see it also for like anytime uh high level dragon or anything. Basically anything that has layer actions, this is gonna uh, take effect, effect in that layer, right? Yeah. Because it's like it's the I imagine stuff that has layer actions, they're so powerful that in a sense they kind of warp the reality around them. And so now the thing that's holding that new reality together is gone. So it's reality trying to reassert itself over the magic. So you, yeah, it, when you kill a dragon, its cave is going to start crumbling and fall to the ground kind of thing. I'm also going to say it doesn't necessarily have to be unraveling magic. It could be too potent. Like there's, you guys familiar with the idea of ley lines? Yeah. The idea of, of you, there are magical lines across the universe that literally make a giant weave and wherever they meet, these are points of, of potent magic. Mm -hmm. I would have a lot of these effects hit because some of them are like... And the one to five is something about losing magical properties on shit, right? So some mm -hmm. of them is very much like negative, but some of them are positive too. Like there's just spells going off and crazy shit is happening as well. Yeah. I think that would be a place where I would I would look at this table as well. Mm. Neato. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I believe I'm next, even though Kaya usurped my my high role. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Enchanted Springs. So this area is just exactly as it sounds. Uh, this is magical and enchanted pools of water that have magic abilities. Uh, no one is quite sure where it comes from. <laughs> so I feel as a DM, you can be creative of where that comes from. However, some waters are pure and do great things, and some are tainted so or, or just, you know, bad waters. We do creatures, love a good taint. Yeah. We love a good taint in this group. Yeah. yeah. Um, creatures don't necessarily have to drink the waters. They can simply take a bath or even run their hands through it or dip a toe in it. You know what I mean? Like it can be any, any of the above, right? This is the DM's dream and nightmare, right? That a player is always going to be cautious about it. Like touch the water, don't touch the water. It's like the door conundrum there's a door in front of you it takes us 40 minutes to figure out how to open it right you know what i mean like now put a pool of water in the middle of nowhere like <laughs> yeah. are they gonna touch it do they not touch it like or like make it very obvious like it's hot springs right so they think that it's safe so they just run right through them right like it's it's gonna be one way or the other you know what i mean one of my favorite things i ever did was give my players in a desert a lagoon but everything that was around the lagoon was uh, it was an oasis rather was uh was just bright blue yeah i didn't bother to explain it was just blue none of them wanted to touch the water it scared the shit out of them and they they just kept dealing with their thirst yep we didn't want to touch the water yep. but uh <laughs> but yeah so um here are a few of the effects that can happen uh they're of course in a book it's a d12 table so it's a little bit of a smaller list now uh but some of the ones that i thought were funny uh if you roll two bathing in the spring makes a creature glow with golden feathers if not wearing armor, this gives the creature a plus one to their AC for one D four days. So absolutely glowing. You know what I mean? Like that's the hot springs just making you look nice and fresh. Like <laughs> <laughs> Did something uh, happen? You have an unusual glow about you. You look yeah, you've got a glow. Are you glowing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, just, I imagine they have one AC is because like they're too beautiful. I can't hit them. I can't hit them. It's just so yeah. or they're just so fucking bright. That's the other thing. Is like because they they glow, right? Like with golden. Yeah. I can imagine it's just like I, I can't really see them. Like <laughs> just, <laughs> just blinded. <laughs> Freaking Gandalf the White showing up for the first time. Yeah. Uh. Uh, if you would roll a five, a bath could grant a creature spider climb for 24 hours. The role play to figure out that this is what happened would be hilarious. Cause like, I'm imagining you go to a hot spring, your group sits in this hot spring for a little while, they get out of the tub. And then for some, like, it's I'm just trying to figure out how they would know that that happened to them. Like, do they just randomly try to climb walls every once in a while? Or like, would you as a DM tell them that that's what happened? Like I'd make the bottom of their feet a little sticky for no reason, mm, fair but enough. On, mm. only this one character. Like, what the yeah. fuck is this? <laughs> oh, Lord. Wait, would you make the Enchanted Spring have different effects for everybody that got in it? Oh, I, I absolutely it would. They, they'd all be movement effects. So, like, this person has, has spider climb, this person can swim, this person can fly, and this poor bastard weighs three times as much as normal. Gravity is too intense, and they can only crawl. Love it. Wouldn't they just drown in the spring, then? Probably. <laughs> well, if it happens to Dan's character absolutely <laughs> speaking of happening to dan's character i think this last one is gonna be really funny uh if you roll a 10 uh bathing in it can cause the creature's voice to turn evil sounding and sinister for 24 hours <laughs> and shifts them to having advantage on intimidation checks but then it has disadvantage on deception and persuasion checks that's, that's beautiful that's <laughs> yeah, great i thought that one was really funny <laughs> but i would do that one if you drank it like that's yeah. how like if they decided to take a cup of water, take a sip from it, I wouldn't do the bait. Like mm -hmm. this one would be if you drank it, I feel like it would change how you sound. 
Or if you inhale the mists off a waterfall. Yeah. Too. Like, but no, I think you're right. Like, it's got to hit your throat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Adam, do you have any inspirations for how you'd use this? My, not necessarily an inspiration, more of a DM tip. Uh, you're going to do this once, and they're going to think it's cool. You do it a second time, they're never going to drink water, go near water again. Right. It, so especially if it's a it. bad effect. Yeah. 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 Use it sparingly. Yeah. Also, okay. be prepared for when they want to fucking bottle it. Yep. Yeah, it does mention that, right? Like, it, you have to have a special kind of bottle yeah. for it. Otherwise, it loses its effect. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and I would I even mean, say that even if it does have the effect, it'd be like, yeah, you bottle it. It's going to be it's gonna be potent for 24 hours, 1D4 days, and then it will dissipate and become regular water, right? Especially if removed yeah. from its zone. Like, yeah. I just that's kind of how I would play it. But uh, yeah, to your point, Adam, I think this would just be like a fun, like I would make it very hyper-specific. You've gone to a enchanted magical water spring and that is what we are here to do. Again, to take away them having fear of doors and water and puddles, you know? Yeah. Like you, you don't want to make give yeah. your characters, your actual players trauma. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, but it would be a good, it'd be a good like stopping point. And again, one of those like palate cleansers or refreshers, especially if it's going to be, you want to use some of the better good effects. Yeah. Um, and just give them a bit of a a, a breather, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So would you use this as something they find as opposed to, uh, let's say, a quest item or a quest find? Uh, like, would they come across it in a forest or are they going to be told, hey, there's a magical spring, you should go find it? It depends. Honestly, if it's out in the wilderness on the material plane, they've got to go find the unicorn. It will be by the enchanted spring, right? And that's one of their clues. But if they're in the Feywild, they just run into the shit. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Megan, how about you? Uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah, honestly, it'd be either or. I feel like it would be a known tale that there's an enchanted spring somewhere, but their ability to come across it is like no one knows where it is, so they may never find it kind of thing. Okay. And so like when they find it, it's going to be it's going to be something a little bit more... Um, enticing because they've heard about it and they knew it existed and they're going to think it's special that they found it as opposed to just like stumbling across it um yeah that's how i would do it give them give them a nugget that it's something exists but if they find it they find it okay cool yeah yeah you know adam uh what do you got me all right so emotional echoes now this one is probably one of my favorite things and it's going to be one of the hardest to describe and and put into your game as well without really getting heavy, heavy, heavy on the narrative, the exposition here. Emotional echoes are when someone feels something so strongly that it imprints the environment around them. There was a theory in real life uh, that hauntings aren't actually real. They're not ghosts. It's not spirits. It's just energies. And when you see a, a manifestation or an apparition of some kind... What you're actually seeing is an emotional echo of a person that that lived here, especially if that was the strong emotion they felt just when they died. Like you would hear, that's why we hear screams in haunted houses, like disembodied moans and shit, because these are the emotional reactions to horrible things that have happened to them just as they died. But emotional echoes can be for anyone. They don't have to have died necessarily. They just felt something so strongly, or there were enough people that felt something so strongly in this area Uh, that there was an event that happened. And now when you go there and you show any sort of, uh, or any level of the same emotion, you've got to roll a DC 16 uh, against a suggestion spell. And on a failure, you succumb to an act that is associated uh, with that emotion. 
They give us eight examples of strong emotions, and we're, I'm going to roll for them for each of us in a second here. But the idea is that uh, when when your player says, oh, you know what? I laughed. That was pretty funny. And they managed to get like happiness or something like that's the thing here. They might not be able to stop laughing for the next 2d10 minutes or something. Right. So it's this kind of uncontrollable emotional response that characters or creatures will have in this area because it was such an overwhelming emotion whenever it happened in the past. So uh, there are eight examples. Didn't want to go through all of them because it's a bit of a list, but uh, we haven't started with Kyle yet. So Kyle first. Uh, that's uh, four. Uh, one, two, three, four. Hatred. <laughs> this appears in volcanic regions and provokes creatures to scream and destroy things. That's the example that they give just because of the eruptions. Like, the environment is thematically echoing what's going on as well, right? So there's, um, well, here, I'll give you another example. Megan. Yeah. You got a five. Inspiration. This appears around memorials or natural wonders, causing creatures to create works of art on the spot and obsess over them. That's nice. I like that for me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll, you'll see how it there's, it's not just the emotional reaction of the creatures. It's also specifically tied to a space, the environment as yeah. well. So yeah. for me, I rolled a one, which is boldness. Oh, that tracks. Fuck. Uh, appears in battlefields and echoing canyons, encouraging creatures to shout hidden truths and act out their greatest victories. So the list includes boldness, doubt, fear, hatred, inspiration, joy, love, and sorrow. But there are so many more emotions than that, right? And you can, as a dungeon master, when you get something that you feel is a particularly evocative sight, then you can tie an event that happened in the past, and then what happens if your players end up feeling those emotions here. And then you build encounters to try to trigger that, so. Yeah, I was thinking I would do a, um, uh, if you were going to like an old coliseum, or like where gladiator yeah. battles occurred, like there'd be so many different emotions there. So like you're standing in the stands, but you feel like the excitement and the rush and the, like the, you just feel like an overwhelming, like, you know, feeling of just wanting to be in a crowd. I don't know how to, how to explain yeah. that. But then if you Your go down. Your heart speeds up. Yeah. Right. Like an ang almost like an anxious reaction. But then if you go mm -hmm. down into the pits where the fights happened, you're going to shift to, well, now I need, I'm, I want to fight. Right. Like you have yeah. an overwhelming urge to, and not not to fight out of rage, but to fight out of pride. I almost would feel the emotion that you'd feel being there would be the the, the prideful feeling of being yeah. in battle. Yeah. Yeah. Or scared right before someone yeah, dies or, like, or something like that. The fear of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a great narrative tool, but not so much as, I don't know. This is what I mean. Like, it's going to be the hardest one to put into your campaign of all the ones we've talked about so far. Because yeah. it's not something you're going to stumble upon. It's something that is clearly plotted out and we've got to design this as DMs to actually pop off to have a narrative moment, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I see this in like a dream sequence or, you know, something where you're reliving someone's memory almost. They do this in the House of Lament a lot. Uh, it doesn't trigger that like when you feel sadness, they feel sadness or whatever that it's it's instead like you walk into areas and you immediately get a vision of something that happened in the past 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they do that all the way through um, uh, the Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen as well, where there are some areas where you go and you can see cutscenes and flashbacks to what happened here in the past. But that's very on the nose. And I like this because yeah. it it's a little bit more subtle and it forces the players to roll saves against being forced to act almost as if the environment is charming them. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah yeah my mind immediately for this went to something like incredibly dark right like you're standing at a high cliff face and all of a sudden you feel like the urge to jump or you know it's kind of uh lapel du vide kind of thing right where mm-hmm. you're driving and you're like what if i just cruise over into the other lane or something like that your true or... thoughts get in there yeah 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 like what if i yeah. floor it and don't hit the brake in time right mm-hmm. like yeah or you know the suicide forest in japan that's yeah. Yeah, what I kind of associate with this. We deserved a better movie and documentary about that than we got. That was pretty weak, hey. Yeah, but yes, I feel that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to round four. Maybe something a little more upbeat than that last. Sentence. We're just doom and gloom today yeah. from The Hangover. Yeah. Uh, sixteen for me. Ten. Seven. All right, Megan. Blessings. I'm gonna talk about Primal Fruit. <laughs> I have a question. Shoot. What? Fruits. No. Name of my sex tape. I know, hey. Uh, Marvel fruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, so in, in lands ripe with magical creatures doing magical things, obviously, eventually, magical fruits and other edible creations will start to naturally grow. Of course. Uh, so this could be a wizard developing spell components or simply magical land that had a strong uh, event occur. The land may eventually muster some what is called primal fruits. Um, there are some special rules to the fruits themselves. Uh, so we'll go over those first before some of the options of what the fruit does. Uh, so the magical plant can, uh, create 1d6 fruits every week. Primal fruit once picked is only good for one week. So it does eventually dissipate its magical capabilities. Uh, it can be, it can be simply eaten or it can be made into juices or even cooked with chef by like a chef in a meal. But once it's consumed, there is of course the random effect table. So like no matter what consumption process you use, the magic is going to pop off. Uh, it's important to realize that even if an identify spell is used to determine what the fruit is, you can learn from an identify spell what the benefit is, but you will not find out any curses or side effects. So that's important to note for DMs. So this is a D8 table for possible effects of some of the fruits that, you know, can be eaten and a couple of my favorites, of course. If you roll a two, uh, a creature will gain advantage on skill checks, saves, and attack rolls using strength for one hour. However, the side effect is receiving one point of exhaustion once it wears off. Oof. Yeah. So I'm assuming your group will, like, will eat it, feel super strong, get super stoked, pick a few, and then all of a sudden like are exhausted when they start traveling. Yeah. If you roll a four. So I feel after barbecue. <laughs> you gotta get that carb coma. Yeah. yeah. Do not swim for the next hour. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, if you happen to roll a four, a creature's skin will feel prickly. For one hour, they get resistance to one damage type chosen by the DM with no side effect. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, if you roll a seven, the creature won't need food, drink, or sleep for 1d4 days. Uh, you also cannot be put to sleep by magical means. However, their dreams impose on their awakened thoughts, which gives them disadvantage on wisdom saves. So that was um, just really interesting. Basically being like, yeah, you don't need to eat, sleep or drink or whatever, but your brain, which requires sleep, is going to still try and make dreams and your your intrusive thoughts a little bit more rampant is kind of how I see that. 
See, yeah. I would fuck with that a little bit more. I'm not even going to impose disadvantage on perception checks. You're just going to see things that aren't there. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I'm going to fuck with you a little bit with this one. Yeah. So. Yeah. That one feels like it'd be hard to narrate, I guess. Oh, uh, you can say, like, a, in the corner of your eye, you see, like, someone who you know is, like, dead and gone. Right? Like, you see your mm-hmm. dog from your childhood dog in the corner. Or, like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's. It's drug psychosis. Drug psychosis. There, there's this. <laughs> phenomenon that i i have succumbed to more than once which is comes from overtired i have been absolutely suffering from insomnia for the majority of my life um and when i do sleep i sleep hard uh but i'm up for days sometimes and one of the things that i have uh noticed is when it's time for me to finally go to bed it's because i start to hear someone call my name but i've been awake for two and a half days and i will hear Adam. And it's specifically a person's voice, like someone that I know. Usually my dad's voice. Now, my dad died three years ago, so it's really disconcerting now. But it's been like this since I was 14. I would hear him call my name and I'd be like, what? Is he here? No? Okay, weird. That is an indicator that I'm going to fall asleep very fucking quickly, no matter what I'm in the middle of doing. So it's that kind of thing that I feel should be happening. That Out of the corner of your eye, you see somebody running and you turn to look and there's nobody there it's like that highway hallucinations when you're driving and you're tired you suddenly just start to see every road sign or or barrier looks like there's a person standing there yeah double take and and it's not it's just a your your mind is just creating shit out of shapes yeah um i have like a people who know me in real life know i'm a vivid dreamer i talk about my dreams all the time but like one of the hardest parts of being a vivid dreamer and i hope there's the audience out there can actually like identify with this I will wake up feeling like I have not slept because I feel like my brain was on. And so I don't necessarily suffer from insomnia the way that you do, Adam, but I do have waking dreams as well, which is basically what this is almost describing. And like the most recent one was like being in my own house. And I was all of a sudden overwhelmed with the feeling that there were people in my house, even though that there weren't. Like, it was just like, I do the same thing. I'll hear someone say my name and like, the internet's like, Megan, you're crazy. I'm like, no, no, it's just like my brain doing weird stuff because it's tired. You know what I mean? Like- but like you get overwhelmed with like the, kind of like those emotional echoes where like you a feeling will come on and your brain will fill in the gaps and all of a sudden you start hearing or seeing it as, as if it were real. And I, I call them waking, like woken dreams. But yeah. One of these days I'd love to learn how to lucid dream. It's, it's takes time. It does. I, I, yeah, I read up on it. It sounds amazing. I was I, don't, I, don't I was taught how to do it accidentally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I had night terrors when I was a kid. So my parents put me in sleep therapy. And a lot of it no. came down to doing like dream journaling and doing other things. So I, was, I spent a lot of my childhood very focused on dreams and like how they work and how my body reacts to them and how to determine what's real and what's fake and like learned all those tips and tricks and how to do it while you're in your dream world. And so now I can, now it's just a thing that I do. And it's just because as a kid, I was taught it young. And so now it's just a part of how my brain structure works. That's so, cool. I, yeah. I'm assuming you don't suffer from sleep paralysis then. I've had it four times in my life. That's Horrible. And I remember every single one like it's yesterday. Yeah, I had it yeah. twice, but I was much, much younger and terrifying. Absolutely. The last the last one I had was like four months ago. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. If anybody anyway. wants to talk about dreams, reach out. I talk about them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Primal fruit, though. Primal fruits. <laughs> I was reminded. I could talk about primal fruits. Adam, I was reminded of your, no, I just, of uh, the, because we did have, 
special like blueberries when you were talking about that oasis that we ran into in the middle of the desert there was the blue fruit yep that we carried was did you take that inspiration from here or did you find that somewhere else no it i it was actually a take on something as a throwback because in the previous campaigns but in this world casey's character ended up planting fruit the uh, planting a bunch of seeds uh they ran across magical seeds I didn't know what the seeds did when I gave them, like it was rolled on a random table. So I hadn't made that up yet. But the idea was she was given like a hundred seeds and each one of them grew a tree overnight. That tree will last exactly 100 years and every day produce up to, I think it was 10 melons hanging from the tree. Each one of these melons will sustain one person for one day's worth of, of food. They're sweet, they're delicious, and they're great. So, and it was my way of not having to worry about rations in my campaign. But then I just keep thinking, there's magical food, that fruit and grains and shit growing all over, right? So you guys have run into magical flowers and magical plants, and and there's always some sort of effect to them. If you come across something unique, then you can be pretty certain there's going to be something cool that happens, although it is sometimes detrimental as well. So, cool. Cool. Yeah, I was thinking about using these as a like mostly as a quest reward. Um, but then I also thought about a kind of a fun one. Um, like so you come and you find an old man standing at the bottom of a valley at the base of like a really tall, narrow spar of rock. And there's basically a tree at the top. And he goes, Hey, I need you to go up there and I need you to get me this specific piece of fruit. Um, but you know, it's really dangerous. It's a great exploration pillar, right? Like how are they going to find their way up? I tried to definitely avoid them flying to get around it. Mm -hmm. I would have a monster hiding inside. I might have it it, like eat a Pegasus just to kind of illustrate the point. Uh, but then when they get out there, they find this tree and it's got all these kinds of fruit on it, right? Like they all All look slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, I need you to get me this one. And then what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to eat? Are they going to eat the same one that he does? Because uh, the idea is that, you know, it's a uh, fruit of youth. So they come back down and they give it to him and he comes back to like a, a regular man. But if they eat it, it'll take them too far back. So they'll be like a child again mm. and then let them try to figure out something like that. That's cool. I also like it as a reward because the stuff on this table is far more potent than the stuff that I was doing with the with the fruit. So um, mine was like background noise, magic items that you can use or not, doesn't matter. But this stuff, there's such a strong positive uh, aspect to every one of the eight options. And there's a couple mm-hmm. of drawbacks like the exhaustion thing, right? But it it definitely feels like a reward that you could hand out. Like there's eight different colored berries growing on the tree, right? You have four um, player characters. They can each pick one. What color do you want? Yeah. Right? And then like they that. all get a different thing that they can use as long as they use it within a certain amount of time, right? Like that, that's that's fun. That's memorable. It's interesting and it's useful. I also feel like this could be something a hag has by her shack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or also a uh, gin. Mm, yeah. But those ones would be a lot more. I mean, for the hag one, it would definitely be a two-edged sword, right? Like you get something cool, but then also something fucking terrible. Like you would lose one of your hands. It would rot off, but you would get some insane boon. Or it's just the like you you've I, I'm a hag. I need you to go get this thing for me. And then when they're done, you can pick one of my fruits. Yeah. yeah. And like, then that's, they, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I could just see the barbarian be like, 
I expected more than a piece of fruit, but thank you. And like the the <laughs> wizard or whoever like knows what it is, be like, be grateful. <laughs> Amazing. I think I was next on this. Yes, you I were. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my next one is uh, unearthly roads. This one takes a little bit of wrapping your brain around because I don't think it's explained very well in the book. But think about it like this. There are passages of great magic that are like thin spots between worlds where two connected gates appear, but there's like a highway between them. So it's kind of like a, a wormhole you travel through and not just a portal you step through. Mm -hmm. If you take one of these passages, it's like entering a tunnel that's infused with the essence of a plane that it's worming through because you would step through this gate and it actually takes you through a tunnel through a different plane to get somewhere a lot faster. You can actually travel 21 miles in the span of time it would normally take to travel one mile. You can see what's going on through the walls of this tunnel, but it's blurry and indistinct and the details are of the other plane that you're passing through. Uh, but the creatures and the landmarks and whatnot can't be made out uh, through through the uh, through the walls of this tunnel. You just kind of get the general impression of like if you're walking through uh, one of these unearthly roads that goes through the Shadowfell, you're going to see it's dark, it's dreary, it's misty, it's rainy. There's forested areas or or whatnot, but you're not going to see Strahd standing there looking at you, right? You're not going to be able to see the village of Barovia. You're going to have general idea of small drab buildings around right as opposed to going through the fey wild which is bright and energetic and but you're not going to be able to see the specific fey creatures there sometimes specific criteria needs to be met in order to access these unearthly roads like it has to be an anniversary of an event or something like that there are six examples of these um specific criteria and they're all called unearthly road keys so I'm going to roll a D6 uh, because they've got some, some interesting criteria here for you to be able to access this. Uh, let's say, Megan, that was a five for you. You have to permanently sacrifice a memory of joy in order to be able to, to access this. Ugh. Let me try and find one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Day two Do next week, count? We sit down and have therapy with Megan. <laughs> Kyle, a two for you. You have to spill a pint of humanoid blood. Nice. Nice, nice. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Never leave home without it. Uh, and then I rolled a four for myself. I I would have to be wearing the regalia of a lost royal dynasty in order to walk through this gate. Interesting. Right? There are some neat examples there, but like you could come up with whatever you want to be the um, criteria, whatever key that you want it to be. And I mean, then you have a quest just sitting there waiting for you. Yeah. Like right? it's like, it's like a builder, build your own small side quest in your big campaign. Right. Yeah. yeah. And as much as it's like, oh, 21 miles in the span of time it takes to travel through one mile normally, I would have like, there's a kingdom that's 2000 miles away, but you can travel through this road for two days and get there. Yeah. Right. Or however that math breaks. I did not do the math on that, but however it breaks down. Right. So like you can have these incredibly long distances and they uh, the only thing you need to do is go find uh you you've got to find the perfect silver orb to throw through an ancient archway and then this gate will appear but that orb mm -hmm. is in the haunted keep over there go get it right mm -hmm. so that's far more interesting a way to get across a map than getting 
caught in a on like oh I'm on a ship I'm on a train I'm on horseback and we're just gonna hand wave a handful of random encounters at you right yeah interesting I like these a lot I think yeah. they're really cool I also kind of imagine this is what it would be like uh taking any of the portals in sigil right this is what you're coming out of mm-hmm. yeah I agree I I think so and I you know honestly I I like the idea of playing around with it in terms of depending on what kind of portal you're going through maybe time works differently right maybe if you take the right one you end up before you even entered it as well or maybe you've got to find a different portal to get back because it it takes you know 21 miles in the span of the time it takes to do one mile this way but it's the reverse going back yeah right you've got to go 21 miles to to go for one mile right like so you need a different passageway back and maybe you've got to cross the map a few times to get close to to getting back to where you started from Mm -hmm. cool i like that yeah or you know you you got this quest you got to go deal with the consequences of this thing that happened you go into this tunnel and then you come out and you find out that that thing hasn't actually happened yet what is your party going to do now oh that's cool time warp yeah yeah interesting all right, uh, I guess we're moving on to me. Magic mm-hmm. mushrooms. Ending on a uh, high point. <laughs> yeah. So, ma- mushrooms, friend or foe? The eternal question. Some are edible, some are poisonous, some have medicinal uses, and still more have other qualities. Uh, particularly ones that grow in the Underdark or the Feywild, where they become infused with the area's magic. Characters proficient in medicine, nature, or survival skills might have some knowledge on the subject of fungi, especially the magical kind, since beneficial effects can save lives or bestow unique powers, but there are untold amounts of variants out there, right? Like, nobody's going to be able to know all the mushrooms that exist. So what happens if you run into some of these? Well, you get a nifty little D10 table uh, where some of the effects include being subjected to enlarge or reduce with a 50% chance of either taking effect, uh, losing the ability to speak and only be able to make chicken noises, while gaining the ability to speak and understand chickens. This lasts until a removed curse is cast on the subject, which I like that little last tidbit, or having mist pour out of your eyes and ears acting as the fog cloud spell for one hour centered on whoever consumed the mushroom. So that chicken one is so weirdly specific. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's because it's somebody's like mushroom high experience. Like I need to, I need to put this in a book somewhere so yeah, that other yeah. people can experience this as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I, I feel like they sat around the table and said, what was your last high experience? And let's put this on a table. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. They put magic mushrooms on the table and said, okay, everybody <laughs> yeah. go. We'll write it down afterwards. I think I like for this very small and minuscule thing, it was probably like a three-day venture. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed none of this is melt into your chair and talk to the devil. So I, they must have been good mushrooms. Yeah. I, I, mine is just hallucinating that I'm at, I'm at work. It's always that I'm at work. And I, I don't know. That is the saddest what? shit I have yeah. ever heard. Yeah. 100%. Like, is anytime I've ever, like, uh, this is gonna be on the internet now. Anytime I've done a hallucinogen, it has always been that I've been at work. Always. Weird. And, like, this was back when I worked in retail. So it was high stress and, like, high anxiety. And oh, I, that's I, why. I hated it. Yeah. I hate it. To this to this day, now I won't do hallucinogens anymore because all I do is think about work. Oh, that's awful. I that's get, sad. like, <laughs> I get really, like, crazy high emotions. Like, I feel stuff so much harder than I do uh, when I'm, like, sober. So I, like, Honestly, Hyper sad, like Kyle. Watch, yeah, 
Well, no, I like to watch. I like to watch heartwarming, sad movies because I will ball my fucking eyes out. And like you know, sometimes you just need a good cry, and it fucking works. It's true. It's true. No, for me, it's I become obsessed with energy. Like I, I'm very, very concerned about electricity and um <laughs> and light that is being given off of things. And I also need to make sure that the right number of things still exist. For example, if there is a cat in the house, I will go if one cat, I will count that cat over and over and over again to make sure there's not two cats in the house. One cat. Ah 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 ah. ah. <laughs> what would you do if there what if you what would you do if you did count a second cat? Would you like lose your mind? Yes. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Very much indeed. yes. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. I think I'm all for magic mushroom effects. I think yeah. it's gonna be a good shit and giggle at the at the table. Especially with the right party, it's gonna be yeah. a shit and a good a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 This is all really right. no different than the primal fruit, except it's a little bit like the effects are different, but it is just another random table of shit that you eat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, but, I guess the situation is it's more area specific, right? Like yeah. primal fruit is if you have a magic user, this is like, oh, you want something kooky to have in your Fate Wild adventure? Or... Yeah. Oh. Uh, do you so, guys have any inspirations for how you'd use it? Uh, if you want to do some sort of ma- like major divination ritual, mm-hmm. you want to see back in time to see a thing. If you want to communicate across the cosmos a chip that's spell jamming there might be magic mushrooms involved and you would also get one of these side effects but it would be this isn't the reason that you take the mushrooms it's the side effect of it you put up with this for the next little while right Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely like a spell component that's used in some kind of a like casting ritual or a sacrifice or something like that something that involves like perception opening up and communication with the world opening up in some way, right? Like if someone who doesn't have the scry spell is trying to scry or like exactly, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel that. <laughs> Mine is totally different. And I feel like our respective experiences doing magic mushrooms clearly affected our ideas for this. Because my... <laughs> Mine was just like, you need the help of a crazy sport druid. But to get his help, he makes you play Russian roulette with these mushrooms. So he just goes, there you go, lay them all out. And he makes your entire party take some. And then they all have to roll on the table to see what effects they get. And m- meanwhile, Megan's is like, and now you have to go work in the general store. Yep, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to go to work. I At one point, I think I was talking and trying to fix a printer. And my my people, my, my people that were like, what are you doing? I'm fixing, I'm fixing the printer. I don't know what your problem is. What does it mean? Load table tray three. Fuck. I'm so embarrassed that that's like my, that was my, my third eye opening wide. Megan, you're at work. Yeah. <laughs> you might need to unclench that muscle, Megan, and and not worry about work so much. Have you tried turning your brain off and on again? Uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> My reset mode isn't any better. <laughs> oh, shit. We got to restart making it safe mode. Oh, Lord. <sighs> so good. All right. Before we accidentally cross any more magical boundaries, let's hunker down for a little info break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. 
Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes and comments. Engagement like that help us pop up on search engines and keep the show running. All right, so the last things that don't really fit with the other ones that we've talked about so far are mimic colonies. And I'm very excited to talk about this for obvious reasons. Uh, but we have run into mimic colonies in the past before there was codified rules for it, and it was terrifying for the players. When an entire village came to life, then turned into a uh, working ship and chased them across a, a small inland uh, sea. So... The idea with mimic colonies are, and I'm, I'm assuming everyone knows what a mimic is. If you don't, what are you doing listening to this episode? But it doesn't happen often. But sometimes mimics can gain awareness beyond the norm and even start to learn how to speak and communicate. Uh, Megan knows this because you guys ran into a couple of sentient mimics that were hanging out with you guys named uh, Phil and Phyllis. They were and, so uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, even rarer though, sometimes a group of mimics will come together to make a colony. This shouldn't happen often, but like once every other campaign, maybe. When this happens, an unpopulated but highly detailed village will appear out of nowhere overnight, but it's actually a large group of intelligent telepathic mimics working together. When this happens, all mimics within 10 miles of the colony can communicate telepathically with any creature that's within 120 feet of it, and any mimic offspring that are born gain permanent telepathy. We don't get any information on how they're born or what that is like, but I assume this slurping. Mimic <laughs> colonies aren't stupid. If they think that they're going to be defeated or they're not going to be able to, um, to eat the travelers or the people that are unlucky enough to stumble upon them, then they will attempt to ensure their survival by bargaining, negotiating, offering treasure from previous victims, or even offering one of their young as tribute, and then fucking off and trying this again somewhere else. There's even a CR0 juvenile mimic stat block on page 167, so your players can have a pet mimic. That's pretty great. And that's it. That's, that's the whole thing. Otherwise, you're just fighting lots and lots of telepathic, intelligent mimics if uh, a colony comes to life. Yeah. I honestly, I like the the art in the book for it because yeah. it show, it looks like it's like a rescue farm. You know, like this lady is just taking in poor orphaned mimics and then giving them a chance to rehab. It's like having the ditto farm or something like that from yeah. like Pokemon. It's just so cute. <laughs> I like the idea of the member colony being friendly, but I also love it being hostile. Yeah, it's pretty fun as hostile. I do. I, I think I would definitely play it as friendly, though, just because I don't know. It's adorable. Also, I think mimics uh, reproduce through mitosis. I would hope so. Uh, but 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 yeah, that's uh, that's what we have for juvenile mimics. It's very cute. Yeah, there's also something that's uh, a little sidebar in Tasha's uh, called Awaken Anything, and I'm going to read from it directly the whole thing it's a little long so bear with me here but there are a lot of awakened creatures um and we're going to talk about that in, a, in another episode uh but there's also uh, while we're talking about mimic colonies we should we should discuss the idea of items that are that have been awoken legends are filled with natural forces and mundane objects that take on humanoid characteristics to guide or confound heroes statues that sing animals that whisper secrets clouds that speak their mind when monsters like Elementals, Galabdor, and Treants represent natural forces brought to life, 
not even chatty rock, or sorry, not every chatty rock or sagacious stream needs a stat block. Perhaps your adventures take a party to a land where plants speak freely, or a cursed realm where petrified souls beg for help. Don't feel restricted by the options in the monster manual or by the limitations of the animal or the limitations of the animate object spell should you want to breathe extra life into your story. Filling a witch's readout with murmuring relics, a fey forest with eavesdropping vegetation, or a sky god's temple with avian choirs makes a place especially memorable. Spells such as animate object, awaken, speak with animals, speak with plants, and the like provide guidance on how to bring commonplace creatures and objects to life. And I wanted to bring this up because whether it's a haunted area or it's an enchanted area or it's a mirror zone or there's unraveling magic effects, whatever it is, there should be weird shit like this around. Yeah. It just feels like a nice little additive to any of the, the options, right? Yeah. And so it's just this little sidebar that would be easy to skip, but it's worth bringing up in this conversation to say, hey, don't be afraid to throw in talking animals or talking items or disembodied voices or anything else for a role-playing aspect to what's clearly really cool environmental exploration encounters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it helps you pad out stuff where you might be a little stuck in terms of, you know, you want to flesh it out, make it a little more vibrant, I guess. Yeah, or if and you're having trouble understanding what this new status quo is, right, then mm -hmm. you can have a squirrel walk up to them and start talking or, you know, uh, the inkwell starts, uh, the, the quill comes up and starts writing in the air and magical words pop up and like... I'm just, just thinking Beauty and the Beast Castle now with like Mrs. Potts and Chip yeah. and absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very cute. All right, anyway, that's all for this part of our discussion on the magical environments from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Please take a second to engage with a like, follow, comment, and review to help push our engagement. And don't forget to subscribe to find future inspirations for your campaigns. If you'd like to support us, we have a store with some merch and a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Welcome back to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Today, we're continuing our discussion on DM tips in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, aren't I DM one? Are you DM one? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Let's less talking for me. Fuck. Take her away, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> Just disappears. <laughs> it's going to wheel away. <laughs> For regional effects, um, I'm almost there, guys. <laughs> we'll get there together, by God. Kyle's going to drag us across the finish line. <laughs> okay. I'm so mad I went first because, like, I did not reread my notes. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I mean when I wrote that? <laughs> 
I felt All the right. same way doing my intro. I was like, well, what is, no, that's, I'll just skip that word. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyways, okay. Adam, no one wants to see your crotch. Uh, Gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the time or place. This is not a visual platform. I uh, save that yeah. for the OnlyFans, okay? Like... <laughs> right, it's a mimic. It's the only dance. Yeah. yeah. The only dance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, so these areas uh, were magical. <clears throat> I'm going to start again because fuck me, you know? I'm going to go have a shower and a three-hour nap. Yeah, I'm going to go drink a Gatorade and take a shower. Oh, Gatorade. Yeah. Katie yeah. left some in my fridge from the last weekend, and so I messaged her this morning, and I'm like, thanks for leaving these in my fridge. It's <laughs> been a lifesaver. <laughs> I have so much booze left over in my fridge, so much that I've got to pull like 80% of it out so I can fit fucking food in there. Nah, priorities, BB, priorities. <laughs> the point Better is, get the, drinking. Next, the, the next handful of times you guys come over to record anything. I'm not bringing anything. I'm going to drink your booze. Please, mm. fucking please. Deal. How <laughs> did you say you you laid off drinking for a bit? Uh, well, no, I just cut back my drinking. So I also just don't drink at home anymore, and only drink sometimes when I go out. I've like since September, I think I've drank less than two dozen times. Mm. That's all right. So yeah, yeah the, not drinking at home it was the thing that made a world of difference for me. I cut way way back. I was starting to get problematic for a while. Yeah, it was what a little bit that crazy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to save this episode. Thank you, right. and enjoy your horrible Sundays. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, see you next time.